We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is a Locker Room production. All right, everyone. Oh, looks like we have somebody coming in here. We got multiple people coming here. So let's get this thing rolling right away. This is the Big Blue Banter State of the Giants offseason locker room. Like I said, we're going to have multiple locker rooms coming in. Let's hear from, wow, we got three people jumping in. So let's start with the first person who jumped in the room. It looks like Brett. So let's um, let's invite Brett to speak. What's going on, Brett? You there, Brett? Right. What's going on, guys? What's up? Yo, what's doing? up there, Brett? How you guys doing? Good, man. Chilling, chilling. Uh, I live in New York City right now. I'm from northern nice. New Jersey. Been a Giants fan all my life. Season ticket holder. Good. So Good stuff, Brett. Excited for the season coming New up. Uh, Burton County. Nice, nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Essex County myself, so we're close. Good stuff. Cool. Yeah. What's up? Uh, just thinking through where we head next year. I mean, all these rumors with uh, Zeitler and the offensive line, obviously, it's just Gettleman still hasn't fixed the O line. Still quite a frustrating thing to keep seeing and just wondering where you guys thinking they head with this and if Zeitler really gets moved or cut or what what might transpire there. Yeah, Brett. Dan and I went over this a little bit on the Nico Collins podcast. I think that Kevin Zeitler will probably ultimately be released to kind of free up the cap space to possibly sign or retain Dalvin Thomas or go out and try to sign another free agent. And then Leonard Williams is obviously going to be a priority as well. So mm-hmm. I think we may have seen the last of Kevin Zeitler, but I think it's an interesting scenario because you're really putting a lot on the Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux combination of guards. And that is not exactly a, uh, a very encouraging I think, development heading into the next season, especially with Daniel Jones getting pressured as much as he does. Yeah, I think Nick nails it on the head. It's interesting. I actually, like I said, I ultimately feel like I think they're going to hang on to Zeitler. I know it's a weird take right now because of the rumor that's out there and Mm -hmm. because it seems like the Giants are obviously right up against the cap. But for those who have really studied the cap a little deeper and in depth, it's pretty obvious that teams will, and the Giants included in that, dip into future years to create cap space now. The Giants have really good cap situation for 2022. They have an even better cap situation for 2023. We saw today the Saints made two more moves where they kind of kicked a little more of that cap can down the road, creating space for this year, dipping into their future cap years. So I actually think they're going to dip into some future cap. It might mean extending someone like Bradbury or Martinez and then lowering their cap hits for this year. It might. There's other ways to do it as well. I mean, they can still get rid of multiple players, Cody Core. Nate Solder, I know they're going to take a big dead cap it, but if you cut them, you're still creating space. So ultimately, I do think they're going to do something like restructure and add a year on to Zeitler's deal because, like you said, Brett, this is not an offensive line that can afford to get any worse. I know the Giants have put a lot of resources into it. I know it's been Gettleman's, uh, you know, his whole goal was to fix this offensive line, and they've 
added a lot of pieces there, but it's not working. I mean, as Nick said mm-hmm. last year, they were 31st in pass blocking, according to Pro Football Focus, take that for what it's worth. But everyone who watched the games could see that Daniel Jones was pressured more than any other quarterback but Sam Darnold. So it's not – the run blocking has improved. That's obvious. I mean, they added concepts that are working. The power and gap scheme is working for them. They're creating bigger plays in the run game. But the pass blocking needs to improve, and that needs to be a priority. You, I think you nailed it, Brad. I mean, listen, if you don't have an offensive line in the NFL – to me, it's like when you don't have a bullpen in baseball. You just have no shot. So yep. we'll see what they do. I think they're going to keep adding resources there. I think Gettleman's smart enough to at least use a mid-round pick on a guy. Like last year, he loved Shane Lemieux in the draft. So he went in and he got Shane Lemieux. So I think you'll see things of that nature come through. But um, thanks for asking, Brett. You got any other questions? Or are you, are well, I guess just good? on the offensive line stuff, Like yep. clearly Hernandez had some COVID issues last year. Do we think that there was lingering effects from that or did he purely get beat out by Lemieux and then like going forward, is it even tangible to think that if they get rid of Zeitler for some reason, plugging in Hernandez is going to give us a lot of uh, positive optimism given what happened last year. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know Brett exactly what's going on with him because we just don't know the severity of the issues that he dealt with the COVID. But at the end of the season, we didn't see a lot of Will Hernandez in that, last uh, game of the season against Dallas. So it makes me think that like maybe he just fell out of favor with the coaching staff and they did prefer Shane Lemieux because he was better in the power gap pulling. They loved to pull him as the backside guard to kind of trap the end man on the line of scrimmage. They loved using him in that role. And honestly, I felt like, and Dan and I, I think are in agreement with this, felt like Shane Lemieux was a little bit better than Will Hernandez in those situations. Will Hernandez is a bit more boxy, not as mobile, but what Will Hernandez offers in pass protection is far superior than what Shane Lemieux can offer. Shane Lemieux seemed like two or three times a game. He was getting beat right off the snap. And Daniel Jones, before he even hit his back foot, you know, had this 300-plus-pound dude right in his face. And you really can't have that in the NFL, this interior type of pressure. So that's why it's really concerning if they do decide to move on from Kevin Zeitler. They would have to invest something in that guard position to compete with Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux. And Will Hernandez is a free agent next year, so there's that whole thing too. Yeah, I think Nick nailed that too. I mean, listen, the fact of the matter is he was essentially benched for that last week 17 game. I mean, you could blame it on COVID, but the COVID doesn't COVID situation doesn't explain how he was able to come back as a rotational player, albeit playing what, twenty five percent of the snaps, and then by week seventeen he's playing zero percent of the snaps. So ultimately I think it's something to keep an eye on. But obviously a lot will this will determine I mean, I'm sorry, the Zeitler situation will kind of determine a lot in my mind how they feel about Will Hernandez. If they are willing to move on from Kevin Zeitler to create that, what is it, 11.5 million cap space, 12.5 million cap space, it ultimately means that they feel comfortable at least with potentially going with Lemieux and Hernandez as guards next year because you're not going to find too many good free agent guards. You're not going to find them for cheap. And if you draft somebody, it's not a guarantee they're going to come right in and be able to play. So I think that will kind of go a long way in determining how they feel about Hernandez. Cool. Thanks for taking the questions, guys. Yeah, thanks Take for care, Have a good weekend. You too. We'll be doing this every Tuesday night, so if you ever want to jump back on, feel free. Awesome. All righty, let's, let's see who else wants to go. Like Arthur, Arthur looks like Arthur, Arthur was yes. next. Yep. Let's see if Arthur's still with us. I just invited him to speak, so it's a pretty cool app. I'm still getting the hang of it. You there, Arthur? Hey, I'm here. What's up, hey, man? Arthur. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I had a question about the cat, but you guys kind of just touched on it, so I quick thought of a different question. Alrighty. Um, with the 11th pick, if like Devonta Smith would fall or, or uh, Chase or somebody like that, and we would grab a big time receiver, I could see us having a shot if thing if, if other things go well of going to the playoffs. But let's say like Panay Sewell or somebody big time drops and we take somebody instead of a receiver, would you say, okay, this is another rebuilding year. Don't expect the playoffs because, I mean, don't we need that big time player, the Pitt, Kyle Pitts, or these guys to get us to the playoffs? I mean, if we get somebody besides that, are we? Would would you kind of say, okay, this year's just kind of a a rebuilding year. We're adding pieces, but we really need that dynamic player to help get us to the playoffs. Is that what we're missing? I think it is what we're missing, Arthur, to be honest. And I think Dave Gettleman's tracking on that as well, as he said in his postseason 
press conference. They need to add playmakers for Daniel Jones, and specifically, it's going to be at the wide receiver position. I would group Kyle Pitts into that equation and that scenario, I guess, as well. And I think it would really all come down to if they were, say, Penny Sewell, for whatever reason, like I said, he smokes weed like Laramie Tunsil does. He falls to the 11th pick, and the Giants select him. What a steal. I don't think it's a punt season by any means, but I think when that second-round pick rolls around, you got to get someone like Terrace Marshall. you got to look at People like Rondell Moore, if they're around, uh, Diami Brown, the kid from North Carolina, is an intriguing prospect as well. And you would need to probably add somebody with that 42nd pick to really bolster that wide receiver group. Yeah, I think me and Nick have a little bit of a different opinion on this, which is all right. It's actually, I kind of like when we, because we, we agree a lot, so it's good for us to sometimes disagree. I think ultimately, Arthur, this, the decision, or I'm sorry, I guess the result of if the Giants, the end result for the Giants, if they're going to become this really good team or not, is less so dependent on who they select at 11 overall, whether that be a receiver. Because ultimately for me, Arthur, I think that if they were able to somehow draft, and remember, he went, what, pick 14 last year, Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle for the Bucks. If they were able to draft Tristan Wirfs again, I think he could actually, that's obviously not a reality this is a hypothetical situation he's not in this draft class but if they let's say Rashawn Slater's there the offensive tackle at Northwestern and he it has worse like upside in year one he's able to make a worse like impact in year one ultimately to me that type of player can have a bigger impact than a receiver on the offense because he's just the dominant force not only in the run game but also as a pass protector and ultimately to me it, this game is a lot less about receivers to me than it is about pass protection and quarterback so if the Giants are going to become a team that we can Love to watch a team that wins 10, 11, 12 games consistently is pushing for, for a Super Bowl. It's going to come down to the development of Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is going to have to be a much better quarterback than he's been already. He's shown some signs. He's shown some flashes. And if you can get him some pass protection, I think he can be a lot better quarterback. But ultimately for me, I ultimately do feel like Jones is kind of in that Eli boat of he needs pass protection. He needs offensive line a lot more than he needs big, flashy receivers. Yeah, the thing about Daniel Jones that's almost um, frustrating is that he's exactly what you don't want. Somebody who shows huge upside and potential and silly mistakes and kind of floundering around on the field sometimes. He's a mix of both, and it's like, well, what is he? And, and so that's what I'm waiting to see is what he turns into with like this year. And uh, that's why I'm also hoping – I mean, I, I don't demand or hope you know require that we have a big-time receiver – and with the 11th pick, but I don't want to have uh, any more reasons or excuses to say, well, this is why he couldn't develop, or this is why he couldn't uh, reach that next peak because he didn't have the guys around him. I want to really know, but I, I do see, I see both. I see, I mean, he's not a, a garbage quarterback, but he's also not, uh, I mean, he, he doesn't impress me every game. You know, there's some games where I'm just like, eh. you know, he's there kind of so-so and, so I hope we do get an answer to whether he's the future or not this year. Yeah, it's funny, Arthur, because it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if they <laughs> add a bunch of receivers, everyone's going to say, well, he didn't have an offensive line. If they had an <laughs> offensive line, they're going to say he didn't have receivers. So ultimately, it is on Daniel. He's got to play a lot better. Generally speaking, he has to move the ball a lot more through the air. The the yards per game is where, and the yards per attempt is really what's uh, kind of held, holding me back to this point. They're just not generating a lot of offense through the air right now with him as quarterback. Now, like you said, there are a lot of valid excuses that he really didn't have too much to work with last year, especially once Barkley went down and with the play at right tackle and with the play at both guard positions, which was kind of, or I'm sorry, at left guard position, which was kind of eh all season. And then even the first seven games at left tackle were a disaster. So ultimately, there still are excuses to be made. Time will tell. Like you said with Jones, though, I mean, there are flashes. So we're going to see if he can develop. And again, this he has had two systems in two years. He's only going into his third season at the moment, too. Like, I know a lot of us are. We see what Justin Herbert and these like elite type of quarterbacks do. Daniel Jones isn't that, but Daniel Jones can be a serviceable starter in the league. So I, it depends, I guess. Obviously, everyone wants the upside of someone like Justin Herbert. I don't think Daniel Jones is ever going to be that. But can you win with Daniel Jones is going to be the question. I feel like he's shown the potential to where you probably can win with him. But you're right, man. He needs to. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He needs to kind of stabilize and throw more than 11 touchdown passes and actually hit some explosive plays, but he needs help on both the line and the wide receivers, and that's the conundrum that this Giants team is in right now, sadly. That that 60, 70, 80 yard run that he ran where he tripped is like an exact, it's perfect, <laughs> a perfect play to show what he's about. Like, like he just burned the entire team, but then fell at the end. Like that, but yeah, he just needs to grow out of that and like, all right, become a, a star. But hey, hey guys, thank you for the time. I'll let leave more, you know, time for other people, but thank you guys for giving me a voice. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. for jumping on, Arthur. We're going to be doing this every Tuesday at eight. So if you're ever free, just jump back on. I'd love to ch- talk more Giants with you. All right. Thank you guys so much. See you, bud. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join all righty let's let's get dom in here dominic dom i don't know what i don't know how if you go by dominic or dom but let's say jump in the room here dom just invited you to speak you still there dom oh it looks like tiger woods wants to join our room okay Okay, i'm here yeah what's going on is it dominic or dom yeah yeah so it goes by uh i go by dom or Dom or Dominic, I don't care. Cool. Either one is fine. Um, my question is, I have a lot. I have a lot of them because I'm a huge, huge Giants fan. So I really would love to see where they're going to go throughout the offseason. But just most immediately, because of the Kevin Zeitler rumor, I know that he's better than Will Hernandez, and I know that he's better than Shane Lemieux. But my question is, let's say he was cut, and those two guys were the starters. All right. Could they be solid guards? I'm not saying his equal. I'm not saying as good as he was. I'm saying solid, not problems. Let's say, you know, like we look at our offensive line, we say Andrew Thomas, hopefully next year, very good. Gates, very good. Right tackle question. But can we at least say that the guards can be, we could be okay with them? Not saying they're great, but okay. They're not problems. So, so, Dominic, when we look at solid, we're just talking about league average, essentially. Yeah, just okay. Like, they're not, they're not going to 
They're not going to be like Eric Flowers. They're not going to be Bobby Hart. They're going to be okay. They're not going to kill you. They're going to be a guy you're okay starting, but obviously not one of the best players in the team. So guys you're okay starting, but you're looking to upgrade over. I honestly think they can, but I think the question would be around Shane Lemieux. Because I think Shane Lemieux needs to clean up that pass protection aspect of playing the offensive guard position, especially early on in reps when he's facing quicker guys who can really impose their power initially. So those explosive guys. We saw Ndamukong Sue and William Golson in that Buccaneers game really take advantage of him. And the end result was immediate pressure in his face, like I kind of said a little bit earlier. I, but ultimately, I do feel like they can be solid. But you, I think you want a little bit more than that. With Shane Lemieux specifically, though, he needs to clean up that. He but needs the question, to clean up that. That's a good point. But the question is now is if Andrew Thomas gets much better, could Shane Lemieux get some more help at guard if Zeitler's gone, hypothetically? So your question is if, Shane, if so Andrew if, Thomas gets better. Zeitler's gone. So let's yeah. say Zeitler gets cut. And Andrew Thomas becomes a very good left tackle, which we hope he'll be next year. Could Shane Lemieux's pass blocking deficiencies, if they're still there, be improved by some more protection with Nick Gates or maybe sliding that way a little bit if it's still a problem next year? I think you could probably, because you can always use, depending on the defensive alignment, you can use Andrew Thomas on an island. And he won't need as much inside help if he really handled those inside counters like he did late in the season. Remember, in the beginning of the season, that was a disaster. But late in the season, it was pretty solid. So you could use Gates, but that all depends on what the defensive lineman wants to do. Because Nick Gates has a one technique on his side, and then there's a three technique to that opposite side of the line of scrimmage. You're going to need Nick Gates to take that one technique, and then that three technique is going to need to be handled by the other guard, leaving Shane Lemieux on an island if there's somebody else in between him and Andrew Thomas. So it really just depends on the defensive lineman. And yeah, Dom, I think it's important. I think it's important to note, Dom, that part of the, the issue right now with, with Shane Lemieux is something that we saw on tape at Oregon recently. You know, we went back and we watched Penesa Wall to do a draft profile of him. And so that meant watching a lot of 2019 Oregon film. And when you do that, you see a lot of Shane Lemieux. And you see a lot of the same issues that plagued him and the NFL last year with the Giants in a rookie season at Oregon. It's a lot of lower body athleticism. It's a lot of quickness into his stance. Can that be improved? Maybe. Can it maybe not be improved? Sure, of course. He was a fifth-round pick. The reason he was a fifth-round pick is because he may never get there in pass production. So I feel confident that Will Hernandez could be a league average guard, basically, for the re- or, or, or better, potentially, but at least league average. He's never going to kill you in pass production. He's okay as a run blocker. But I don't feel as confident in that regard with Shane Lemieux. I, I understand that. My my issue is that I know with this giant team the way it is now, where where I'm not going to walk into next year being thrilled at every single position. <laughs> but but so could so and is it and my other thing is I know you said that Zeitler is was their most consistent player, not for the line besides Nick Gates. But if you walk into next year and Nick Gates is better than Zeitler and Andrew Thomas should be better than Zeitler with a full right. training camp. Is it worth paying your third best offensive lineman, who's 31 and a half, $12 million? And is it worth losing Dalvin Tomlinson over? Or possibly, let's say we can play with the cap and get him back. But is it worth losing, let's say, a Galladay for? Or let's say we could could get a, uh, a Dupree or somebody decent as an actual pass rusher. Is Zeitler worth that when you do have two guys you think can be solid guards? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good question. We, we, uh, it's, it's made me at least think, Dom. It's made me, because the way I look at it as a whole, I'll just give you an idea of it, is I don't really view it as, oh, is Zeitler worth this X amount of money? I view it as the offensive line can't stand to get worse, one. Two, rookie offensive linemen take time to develop. It's a big risk to just assume a rookie can come in there. Three, I don't really love what I saw from Shane Lemieux. Don't really want him playing 99% or 100% of the snaps in 2021. I think it's a big risk. And then four would be, listen, what you have in Zeitler, you know what you can get out of him. You know you're going to get consistent play from game to game, year to year. And he's still, like you said, 31 and a half is not very old for an offensive lineman, especially not the guard position. So to me, it's less so about the money, especially because they have so much cap space in the future years. As far as the Tomlinson thing goes, it's like, it's more of a question for me of, yeah, 
I don't really love to see a young, great player like Tomlinson walk. But at the same time, do I really want to be pounding so much cap space into the interior defensive line with Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson when they already have Dexter Lawrence there and B.J. Hill who can't even get on the field for more than 15 to 20 snaps? Meanwhile, every time on tape when we watch these games on all 22, B.J. Hill's destroying guards off the snap. But does does B.J. Hill, when you see on tape, does he stop the run as well? He doesn't stop the run as well, but the thought process would be you slide Dexter Lawrence into the position that Dalvin Tomlinson was playing. Will he stop the run? Losing, well, no. Are you losing, will he offer more are you losing too much from – because basically you're, you're using Lawrence to stop Tomlinson. I'm sorry, to replace Tomlinson. But now Hill, Hill, Hill's replacing Lawrence. Are you losing too, re- losing too much in stopping the run at that end spot now because it's Hill in, instead, of, instead of Lawrence? I mean, you're going to have to reshape some of the things they like to do, as Nick likes to refer to, and he can jump on in a second and confirm. They they like to use they like to two gap with these linemen, and they like to play a certain style that allows them to have more advantageous looks against the run. But the fact of the matter is, Don, this is a passing league, and you could stop the run all you want. But as we saw against the Ravens, this so-called great run defense, fully healthy for that game, they had everybody on the field. They got chewed up in the run because. They were able to run to the outside because the the Giants don't exactly have linebackers that have the speed to get to the edge. So there still are deficiencies, even if you have a guy like Tomlinson in the middle in your run defense. And ultimately, this is a game that's won and lost in the passing game. So it's just a matter of resource allocation at that point. So to me, I'm less worried, I guess I would say, about potentially losing uh, Dalvin. Yeah, no, no, I understand that. So I, I, my only, I try to be optimistic and I hope, that if he did get cut, I would look at it in the sense that maybe Rob Sale, the new, the new offensive line coach, and Flaherty, the new uh, consultant, I guess you would say, have a plan to fix Lemieux. That would be my positive spin and hope for it. I personally, if I if I had my druthers, I would I would say hopefully they cut Zeitler and have a good plan for it or restructure. But I, if they don't, and then don't bring back Tomlinson. But we because if we go back next year with the same team, we're not going to win. We didn't win last year, so I I just worry that if we just don't cut anybody and just sign back our own guys, we're not going to win with the same team that we had. I hear yeah. you, Tom, but I will say that winning in the NFL is usually a transition. I'm sorry, a progression that goes and is built through the draft. If you, you, I would say they can still add a lot of good pieces in the draft to the team they already have and have a better chance to win. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I just I just wanted to find out for sure what you guys thought about the Lemieux-Hernandez pairing. So you think we should be a little worried about that? And we yeah, be sure. I mean, I, I would say for sure. I don't think that's a great pairing to go into. But you do, but you are also a little bit worried in the sense that don't you think that they should, they shouldn't have Zeitler at that cap number though? Should he, like, wouldn't it be, it's not ideal to have him at $12 million next year. He should restructure or, Something. I mean, that's a little much for the team they have right now. There's just a, there's just no incentive for him to restructure because he's going to be getting. That's what he's owed. And if he's released, he can probably just take his talents somewhere else because he's still a talented football player. So you so, you think that with with Richie Richie Incognito and Gabe Jackson and Tra- and Trey Turner all on free agency, he'd still get twelve million dollars. Uh, no, I don't believe he'd get twelve million dollars from that, but he'd still be owed something. And I think that uh, just with Kevin Zeitler, I don't know why he would, unless the Giants kicked his contract another two years or extended him, why he wouldn't, why he would restructure just to lower the cap. So it would have to be some well, like, long term investment well, for him. Well, he, well, he's only he, he's only going to get two million from the Giants if he gets cut. So I guess he he would have to think he would get ten million from a new team. You know. Yeah. And it's hard to know if he how much he likes New York or not. I I ideally would like to keep him, but I like to. I really wish he would lower his cap number to like six, seven, eight, something like that. But I don't know. It just it's a tough call. But where, have you guys heard? Uh, my last question: you guys can like answer this. How 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 are negotiations going with with Williams and um and um? Dalvin Thompson. Tomlinson? Yeah. I, I, I haven't read anything. No, I haven't heard anything about Dalvin Tomlinson. And then with Leonard Williams, I, I heard like a week or so ago that there was like something about how the grievance that he filed for the franchise tag still hasn't been settled, whether he was going to be paid as a defensive end 
for a defensive tackle. And that would be something that would really, really kind of come into play if the Giants were to franchise tag him this season because that, A, it would go up because it's the second consecutive year, so the salary would end up getting bumped up. And, B, he lined up a lot at edge, if we're going to be frank, and he was the primary pass rusher for the New York Giants. So that's something that could be something if the Giants wanted to try to franchise him again. But I think Dave Gettleman's going to want to try to get this guy locked up long term. Okay. Yeah. Yep, thank you very much, guys. Yep. Oh, take, take care, Dom. Um, we'll be doing this every Tuesday night if you want to jump back in. We'd love to talk Giants with you. Uh, okay, sounds good. Good stuff. All right, let's see who's next. It looks like Chop Chop's next. Chop, you there? Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yeah, what's going on, man? Nothing give much, us, uh, guys. Give us, give us your name and where you're from. We'd love to do. We'd love to find out a little bit more about the people jumping in. All right, yeah, sure. So uh, I'm from New Jersey, and I mean, it's just a nickname I got by Chop. Nice. So I'm actually from part of I'm New York area. Okay, cool. So yeah, I had a question about uh, Rashawn Slater. I know you guys were talking about uh, guards a bit earlier. Um, I really think that he could be a good tackle in the NFL, and I think he's going to be kind of there at pick 11 for us. So I wanted to know what you guys thought about targeting him in pick 11 and kind of starting him off at guard and then waiting and see if he could develop into the right tackle of our future. I mean, we could even use him at right tackle, to be honest. The thing about Slater, I'm having a little bit of problems getting my hands on all 22 Northwestern film, and I just haven't made my way around to, to see him yet, but I've heard so many good things from people I respect, like uh, Brandon Thorne, for instance, who's an offensive line expert on Twitter. So I'm really interested to get to his tape. But I think if the Giants were to spend 11 on him, he's going to come in and play right tackle probably right off the bat, and they would try to do either have Zeitler on the roster, say to cut Zeitler, to do the whole Hernandez uh, Shane Lemieux things. That's kind of where I'm at with it. But from what I hear, he's a good player, but I'm going to get to his tape, and we'll definitely have a draft profile for him. Yeah, sounds good. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And then also, I wanted to know if, uh, I guess you think like the, what, what do you think the likelihood is he'll be there at 11? I think there's a decent shot he's going to be there at 11. I think it all kind of depends. I think no matter what you're going to see, the Bengals will take an offensive tackle. They're not going to screw that up. So that pick will be an offensive tackle. Now, will that be Seawall or will that be Slater? That kind of remains to be seen. Um, Daniel Jeremiah actually has Slater as his number one offensive tackle and has Seawall too. I think ultimately they take Seawall there. I don't think you can you can pass that up. I don't think you can pass up the upside there. So I think then you look at what other teams could potentially take him. The Eagles, in my mind, are always going to be in play uh, to take an offensive tackle. I know they recently took Dillard, um, so it's more unlikely they're going to take an offensive tackle. But Howie Roseman's smart. He builds from the outside. I'm sorry, from the inside out. He's not the type of uh, GM who's going to be. Everybody thinks they're going to take a receiver, for example. I don't think the Eagles are taking a receiver at six. So I think they're in play potentially in addition to the Bengals at five. Um, I think the Panthers are certainly in play there because they, it depends what they do with Moten, but I think they could easily use another tackle there, um, especially long-term situation wise there. And I think after you get past there, the Cowboys are going to be in play as well for Slater at 10 because the Cowboys, you know, Tyron Smith is getting older. He's had a lot of injuries. So they may be looking at another future replacement there if they think he can play left tackle. And I'm kind of with Nick here. The last time I heard this whole, a guy has to convert to guard because he's too, his, his, his arms aren't long enough. He doesn't look like a tackle. They said that about Tristan Worfs last year. And that's kind of part of the reason why Tristan Worfs slid to the pick he slid to, what was it, four team of the Bucks, And he ultimately ends up looking like by far and away the best tackle in the class. And in my opinion, if you redrafted this draft, Tristan Worfs would go, well, probably four overall because you got Herbert and Burrow would go one, two. Then you got Chase Young and then it would be Tristan Worfs. So, I don't really buy into that whole he looks like a guard, so he should be a guard thing. If he's playing really well at tackle, then he should be a tackle. And and you know what? I haven't seen Slater, so I'll just leave it at that because me and Nick also need to dive a little bit more into him. But I'm certainly intrigued by the potential of Slater at 11. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you Thanks for joining us, man. All right, let's see who's next. Lucas Watson. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Lucas, please, please, please let Nick know how atrocious that Marshall Mathers M&M take was. Uh, I'm not going to hit him too hard. As long as he All does right. his homework and you know, goes and listens to uh, bo- both uh, Marshall Mathers LP and Slim Shady LP, Thank he'll, you, be, uh, he'll be good. Thank you. I-, I don't know why I'm being built up like I'm this Eminem savant. I haven't listened to him all that much other than some of his mainstream and then when Recovery came out. So I do need to circle back and get to those albums. 
Well, uh, I'll look. Uh, I'll wait for your uh, your review on the pod after you <laughs> listen. What's up, Lucas? So, what do you, do you have any Giants questions, man? Yeah, uh, I had two questions: one uh, on O line and one on offensive scheme. Um, in relation to um, letting Zeitler go, um, would there be? I know there's been a a bunch of cuts on around the league. Would there be a market to sign a decent guard, or if there's a decent tackle out in free agency, would I don't know Nick would know better um, on if like Perk could switch to guard um, and then sign a tackle in free agency, or like a getting a Slater in the first round. Would there be any merit to trying to either find a guard um, in free agency or move Perk to guard? It would probably have to be some sort of veteran free agent because the Giants obviously don't have that much money to be throwing around on the market at the moment, especially to a position they've invested a decent amount in in the offensive line. Sadly, it hasn't really translated to the field. And as for Matt Parrott, see, I didn't think Nick Gates could make that transition to center. And it seems like I was wrong because he was pretty damn good last year with all things considered. For Matt Pair, I would have to see much more strength at the point of attack. I mean, he's definitely more of that prototype tackle. Long arms, very, very nimble feet, can kick out on an island, can redirect his hips and do all of those types of things in a quality manner. That's what he showed at UConn. He showed it in glimpses and spurts in his rookie season. I'm not optimistic about that transition, but I also wasn't optimistic about the Gates transition. So I want to keep that in mind. But that's kind of where I stand right now. Yeah, and I would say, Lucas, I would say this. As far as free agency goes, let's take a look at the recent free agency moves the Giants have made uh, to bring in offensive linemen. They brought in Nate Solder to a massive contract, biggest ever. It was a disaster. They brought in Patrick Omame. It was a disaster. They brought in Mike Remmers. It was okay. He was decent. It wasn't great. They brought in Cam Fleming. It, in my mind, was a disaster. I thought Fleming was just terrible out there. He was. We qualified it as he was okay at times just because we're so used to such ridiculously poor offensive line play it's like almost battered it's like battered analysts watching this <laughs> offensive line play it's like oh yeah Fleming was okay I guess but you know you just don't find good offensive linemen in free agency you, you might get lucky occasionally and you get a guy like Jack Conklin like the Browns did but that was a big risk they made him the highest paid offensive tackle and it was very risky it worked out but it was a big risk so ultimately I'm not really about adding offensive line talent in free agency really ever almost didn't Gettleman also bring in Jalapio and Pulley? He did bring in Jalapio and Pulley, who I guess were somewhat serviceable. I mean, those guys were so cheap, though. Neither really oh, cost yeah, too yeah. much money. And um, so my second question is, how does how do you think Jason Garrett's like system and scheme works uh, will be different with, uh, barring a addition of a wide receiver, just adding Barkley back into the mix? What do we see what, what changes in how he calls games and the plays he draws up? Yeah, Lucas, the, the hope is that there's going to be a lot more involvement in the passing game. And the other hope would be that the Giants would be in a lot more advantageous situations. They wouldn't be in these third longs, but that we have to see that kind of happen. But those are the hopes. Now, remember... In the middle of the season, there were a couple unique design backside screens to Wayne Gallman. That's what I hope to see for Saquon Barkley. We hope, and Dan and I have been saying this since the beginning of the podcast, since I came onto this podcast with when Pat Shermer was the coach. We want to see more Texas concepts. We want to see more angle routes. We want to get him in space. Now, I'm not overly optimistic that Garrett will do that overly consistent or in a consistent manner, but... I'm willing to give him a shot because he got, what, a game and a half of Saquon Barkley before he ended up tearing his ACL. But really, for me, it's just overall involvement in the passing game. Yeah, I would I would echo a lot of what Nick just said there. I think that one thing you hope, at least with Barkley coming back, would be that the defenses have to play the Giants a little bit differently and they can't do all the things that they did to scheme against them last year with what they probably deemed to be, you know, a, essentially a – not replacement level talent, but a borderline replacement or average talent at the running back position. And yet at the same time, you have to understand that if they, if we want the giants, if we want defenses to play the giants differently, it's going to ultimately be less so about Jason Garrett or Saquon Barkley and more so about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is going to have to prove that 
you know, they need to play him differently. He's going to have to make more plays, make more throws in tighter windows, make more plays down the field with his arm and with his uh, accuracy. And they're just going to have to create more in the passing game. That's a combination of everything, Lucas. I definitely believe that. But I do think Barkley can help in the sense of how defenses have to game plan to, to stop the Giants. Got it. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, Lucas. I'll be sure to listen to those albums. He really needs right. to. I mean, the, the fact that he said th- this all started because Nick said, I thought it was widely known that recovery was Eminem's best album. Just an unbelievable statement. Yeah, but I that just goes to show how little I know about yeah, true, Eminem. True, true, true. But you, he'd never even heard of Big L, Lucas. Can you believe that? <laughs> I can't. No. I, still thought, I thought Big L was like, you're a loser, you know, when you put the L on the forehead. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what, what Big L is. It, it, it's it's a tough look, but we'll, we'll let this one go. Thanks for joining us, Lucas. Yeah, thanks thanks for putting this on, guys. Of course, yeah, man. We'd love to do it. All right, looks like we got Mike coming on. Mike, you there? Yes, I'm here. What's going What's up, on, Mike? man? Hey, how you guys doing? Chilling, man. Just good, to, man. Just how are to, you? Good. Just to piggyback off of the music thing from last night, Dan, um, Kings of Leon, yeah, they, I think they lost their magic, man. Oh, they're so bad, dude. Like, I, I can't even... I used to love that band when they had Aha Shake Heartbreak and when they had um, Because of the Times as an album. I, like that, that got me through some some high school years, some tough times, some great, you know, it it had some great moments for me in my life. But they just don't sound like that band at all anymore. It's like they don't have the riffs. The guitar riffs are all gone. The bass is gone. The drummer is literally just not. I don't even know if the drummer's even there anymore on this album. It's the the, the studio albums have been tough, man. It seems like now they're kind of just putting out an album every two years just to make money and it, it, I, I get it they're still making money so it's so it is what it is but yeah it's tough yeah no I agree um but my Giants question that I yeah. have for you guys is just so with Barkley coming back like I don't I, I think that we're like setting ourselves up for failure as a as a franchise yet again because we're looking at it like all right he's coming back as the same guy and I don't necessarily know if he will be the same guy. Like, wouldn't it be wise? I mean, yeah, we had um, uh, Deion Lewis late and, you know, Galvin came on. Like, we're going to have to spend probably a pick somewhere to get somebody to share the load with him. Um, I just I, – I feel like we would be setting up Jones for failure and Barkley again for failure if we're like, hey, you know – we got another 1300 yard rusher again. And then, you know, he catches, you know, three, 400 yards worth of balls out the backfield. Like this guy's coming off of ACL. I'm not saying that they don't do it, that they can't do it. And they don't come back a hundred percent. I just rather like have a backup plan. Like for whatever reason, this franchise, and this is just my frustration speaking, but for whatever reason, this franchise never has a backup plan. Like, when when we were going to get Leonard Floyd and the Bears took Leonard Floyd ahead of us, we had nobody <laughs> lined up, li- nobody lined up to pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we chose and we chose Eli Apple. And, you know, the list goes on and on after like for not having a backup plan. It's like, you know what I mean? Like even no, like, I'll give you a good one. I'll give you a really good one. Really, really good one. Cedric Jones. We all wanted we all wanted Jonathan Ogden. And the, and, the Ravens took, and the Ravens took Jonathan Ogden, and we were sitting at the checkout line with no groceries. Oh, my it, God. It, Cedric Jones, that's a throwback. No, that, but you're spot, you're spot on, Mike. I mean, here's the deal with, with Barkley. I think what's going to happen here is I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because maybe he's got that Adrian Peterson uh, knee, that knee right there. Remember when the doctors operated on Adrian Peterson's knee? They said he had the cartilage of a newborn baby. He came back in six months from that ACL. Maybe we can get lucky with that, but... I think ultimately you're right. I think if you look at the history of Jason Garrett as a coach and as an offensive coordinator, he's going to pound Barkley into submission. I mean, Barkley's going to be on the field for 99% of the snaps, I think. That's, I really do believe that. If he comes back fully healthy, he's going to be on the field for 80 90% of the snaps because that's Jason Garrett's MO. And I think that, like you said, it's it's a bit risky to expect that. So I personally am with you. I think it's super important to take a running back on day three in this draft. I think in general, day three running backs are excellent picks to make in almost every single draft class. The nature of the position running back, IDL is also a lot like this interior defensive lineman. There's values all the time on day three just because they get pushed into that. Now, 
The problem here is the Giants have already traded away one of their day three picks because it's Dave Gettleman, and they they don't have all their day three. They need more day three picks in general. If you look at last year, last draft, it was their best draft in day three in Dave Gettleman's tenure because he had more picks. He had more dart throws. He had more chances to take, and not all of them hit. Cam Brown was okay last year. He wasn't that great. You know, There were a few picks that didn't really make that much of an impact, but then you had Shane Lemieux who ended up playing and starting for them. And then you had, right. you know, Carter Coughlin gave them some really good snaps there. And obviously Darnay Holmes was a huge hit on day three. So hopefully they can go ahead and make a trade or two to create more picks and then use one of those on a talented running back. I'm right there with you. I think it's a much bigger need than Giants fans are thinking right now. And last last question, and then I got I to gotta run. If you yeah, had at the 11th pick and you're staring at Parsons or you're staring at Pitts, who you taking? That's a great question. Nick, you want to jump into that first? Because I, I think I got mine in mind. Yeah, so I haven't gotten to Parsons' film quite yet. But, man, that's a tough one to, to pass up. But I'd probably go with Kyle Pitts. But I'm, I feel like I'm going to love Parsons' tape once I get to it, especially because what he brings from a blitzing uh, perspective. I think that's going to – that would be huge for Patrick Graham's defense. What about you, Dan? Yeah, so I've, I'll preface it by this. I, we did a huge dive on Pitts, so I've seen a sh- – ton of pits for Parsons it's mostly been broadcast but to be fair I've seen almost every Penn State game I I I don't I watch so much Big Ten it's it's disgusting so I think both are incredible upside plays I love both of them there will both be two of my favorite targets at 11 I can say that right now what what Parsons can bring to this defense is extremely exciting he can blitz from the inside he can really rush the edge as well. He came into Penn State as an edge rusher, and they converted him to kind of an inside backer. He can do so many different things, but it will be Pitts for me as well. I'm a massive Kyle Pitts fan. I think he's one of the two or three best players in this entire class at any position. I think that he is going to be a star in the NFL. I don't care that he has a tight end label next to him. It means nothing to me. His skills as an actual pass catcher, regardless of what position you want to label him as, are far superior to almost everyone in this class with the exception of uh, Chase. So, if Pitts is there at 11 and Parsons is there at 11, it's a tough call, but I'm with Nick. I'm probably going Pitts. And Marcel, we'll circle back to this whenever we do our Micah Parsons draft profile. So just listen then, and we'll definitely yeah. give our uh, finalized take on that. And I just wanted to touch something on the running back, Dan. We could always go the undrafted route as well. If someone like Larry Roundtree from Missouri is around, something along those lines. Remember James Robinson last year, I know he's somewhat of an anomaly. If he steps into the league and he dominates as an undrafted guy, you could also go that route, but you would just have to really rely on your scouting department to find that type of player. Oh, yeah, you, I'm no doubt. You know I'm right there with you, Nick. I'm always all about uh, not investing too much in the running back position. I'm fine with a talented undrafted guy as well, but I would like them to actually take a chance on a day three guy with talent who can, you know, help them in situations where Barkley's not on the field. All right. We got time for one more question. And then we got to wrap this up. Um, for those of you who are joining and didn't get a question in, it looks like I actually only have one more speaker request. So, or two more, we might, we're going to have to skip one, but if you're, if you are joining and you meant to ask a question or you're just hanging out with us, that's cool. But for future, we're going to be doing this every Tuesday at 8 PM. And you could hit that speaker, that microphone button that you see on the bottom right of your screen, and that will allow you to request to speak. But we got time for one more question, so we're going to take one from our boy Columbus. So what's up, Columbus? Are you there with us? Yo, yes, Columbus. Sir. What's, what's up, up, bro? Fellas? How y'all? Good, Chilling. man. How you doing? I'm good. Can't complain. That's good. Uh, first question, we were just talking about Pitts. I'm slightly afraid of him. I mean... We already see that Jason Garrett can't use Evan Ingram. So what makes us so – like, what makes us think that he'll be able to use Pitts? I always felt like with Evan Ingram, his routes should stay in motion. Post routes, go routes, yes. coming across the field, no cuts because he's not really good <laughs> at cutting. So yeah, no. routes and in routes and button hooks, I just feel like that's not Ingram's game. And Garrett – kept pounding that table. So what makes you think he'll be able to use Pitts? For me, I'm going to speak for myself here, because Kyle Pitts can do all of those routes that Evan Ingram struggled with and Evan Ingram was asked to do. I think Evan Ingram is miscast in this offense. You're right. I think you're spot on, Columbus. Use him up the seam. Use him on drag routes. Don't make him make these 90-degree cuts all the time because he's not that great of a route runner, and that's not really his game. you got to get him in space, get the football in, in his hands, and allow him to make players miss. As for Kyle Pitts, if Jason Garrett runs that same exact offense, which we hope he does not, but I believe Kyle Pitts on the quick slants, those comebacks and those curls and those spot routes, 
Kyle Pitts' ability to use his frame, his ability to extend away from his frame, secure tough catches, win in contested catch situations. I feel like he does all those exceptionally well, far better than Evan Ingram, and I think he would fill that role very, very nicely in this Jason Garrett offense. But it's not even just that, dude. It's just him as a playmaker in general. Yeah, he might run like a 4-6, but his overall receiving skills, receiving skills are elite. So that that's where I stand on it. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think you you had a great you nailed it there, Nick, and Columbus, you nailed it as well. I think but what the struggle with Ingram is, he can't really make those ninety cuts, ninety degree cuts. You said it best. But like Nick said, it's a it's a totally different player with Pitts. He can make all he he they're just completely different prospects in my mind. I mean, Evan Ingram basically became the first round pick of the Giants because Jerry Reese loved the fact that he could run a four four two at six foot three, two hundred thirty five pounds, and they thought he could be the guy to split the seam and cover two and to get the, cause remember at the end of Eli's career, there was talk of he can't beat a cover two. He can't. And that I thought was a little overblown to be honest. I, but I also think that they ultimately thought Ingram would be that guy and he just wasn't. But as far as Pitts goes, he can do all those things, but more importantly to me is going to be getting away from those things. Columbus, because if the giants run an offense again, like they ran in 2020, there's just so little upside. There's just such a smaller ceiling when you're running so many of those stop routes and so many routes that are breaking back toward the line of scrimmage. You want your routes to be breaking toward the sideline or up the field at all times. If you look at an Andy Reid offense, and do you ever see those four curls to the sticks with Andy Reid? Andy Reid's never running that garbage. He understands the concept of space and how important it is for routes to be breaking to the outside and up. And we'll see if Judge can do what he said. He said, we're going to really break this offense down this offseason and take it, pick it apart and look for different ways. And we'll see. We'll see if Garrett can adjust as well. It's really important. But as far as Pitts goes, I think he can do all of those things. And more importantly, I think he can do the one thing that is always going to be there for this Giants offense. That's going to be those back shoulder fades, those one-on-one isolation type routes where you have no safety over the top and you can just throw the ball up there into a position where the receiver can make a catch and Pitts can make all those catches. He's super strong with his hands at the catch point. He's got really good body control in the air great ability to adjust to off-target passes. And in general, he's really strong. Like I said, he's strong at the catch point. So I, I kind of view them completely differently, Columbus. Okay, I got another question, but I, I'll ask this question on the uh, iTunes review. Right, so cool. I, I haven't listened to the new podcast yet, so I don't know if you answered it already. Yeah, no, we, we may or may not have, but throw it on there and we'll definitely get to it there. We're actually running out of time here on the show, though. Thanks for joining us, Columbus. And for those of you who are in the room, looks like we got a bunch of people in the room that didn't ask questions. Ross, Dave, uh, Brett. Or no, Brett asked a question. So we got Ross and Dave. If you guys wanted to ask a question next time, I don't know if you guys are just hanging out or you wanted to ask a question. But next time we run this, we'll be doing this every uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m. Next time we run this, just hit that speaker button, hit that microphone button and request to speak and we'll get you in. Uh, thanks again to everybody who tuned into today's locker room. This is the first of many. We'll be doing this weekly for the next, I don't know, 24 weeks or so. So jump in at any time. Join us. Ask questions. Chop it up. Talk some Giants football with us. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. We'll, you'll be hearing from us on the podcast shortly.